The following is a breakout session from the 2014 Acts 29 conference in Dallas. Given the interactive nature of breakouts and Q&A, there may be extended periods of silence. So, uh, yeah, I guess I'll, uh, I'll start just to tell you a little bit about Joe that's up here, uh, also representing Living Stones, too, because he's helping us with this next transition. So, great. Cool, thank you. Thank you, Chris. So, uh, here's, here's our story. Our church is, um, we have, we're basically a multi-site church, but we've kind of got a model of both trying to think of it as planting churches and doing multi-site at the same time. And um, we've done a mixture of video and live teaching uh, in, throughout that whole process. So we have uh, five locations, and our numbers are anywhere between all those locations. Our numbers are anywhere from, uh, depends on the weekend, but some weekends will be, you know, 2,400 people, and some weekends will be as many as 2,700 people, and then Easter will have 5,000 people. So, uh, you know how that goes. Um, but that's that's kind of the range of who we are. We have one that's one location that's really big, and the other locations that are two locations that are mid-sized churches, and then uh, two locations that are church plants. So we have everything going on really in our whole Livingstone's Church situation. So to give you an example, one of our churches that we're just planting, they're averaging maybe 30 people a week, and they're just in corporate phase. Another one is averaging 100 people a week. Uh, another one is averaging 500 people a week. Another one is averaging 400 people a week. And then our Reno church averages, I don't know, 1,600 on a good week, 1,700. So, um, so yeah, we've got all those different dynamics coming on. Right now what we're transitioning to um, is we have... Uh, we're transitioning hopefully to all live preaching, but some of those locations are more ready for that than others. So in our Reno church, we have all live preaching now, as it is. Uh, in our Sparks church, uh, our leader there at, at Sparks church is a preacher, and he's a phenomenal preacher, and so he's pretty much preaching all the time. He's here in one of the other tracks, and his church is about 400 people. In our Elko church, the guy there is a phenomenal leader, an evangelist, but he's developing in his theology and preaching. So he preaches uh, once or twice a month. So we're getting him there in his preaching. And then the other guys are different places as well. And so but what we're transitioning to is hopefully over the next couple of years with Joseph's help, and he can talk about this. Um, we're transitioning into where we will be less a multi-site church and more a family of churches or a network of churches. And we're going to move these churches, these other four churches, and, and whatever other churches come as we plant more Livingstone's churches, um, to autonomy. To where there'll be autonomous churches. They'll benefit from being part of the network in various ways, but they will have their own lead pastor, their own eldership, and there'll be autonomous churches with a shared, some shared things, some shared DNA, and whatnot. So Joe can talk a little more about that. Yeah, the hope. Uh, I think is um, really I, I sh should back up and say one of the reasons why we felt compelled to move in this direction is when you know I first arrived at Living Sense, I've been there for less than a year was that there was just there was a lot of um, I think systemic dysfunction in the way that multi-site there was at least 
built out for the moment. And what I mean by that is uh, there was a heavy central, like a very robust central leadership team with elders and deacons uh, that occupied a substantial amount of the church's budget. And then uh, some of the other smaller like churches, campuses, if you will, um, really were struggling to get finances because of all the money that was tied up in central ministries to do things for them. And so you would have a, you know, one of our churches of 400 uh, has two staff members. And that's, in most churches of 400, you've at least got three or four staff members, uh, probably an executive guy, and, and, and we didn't have the money to do that. So we were already thinking, like, maybe we don't necessarily go to, like, a network of churches, but we at least need to address, we've got way too much weight here in the central, and too much command and control, and not enough, like, freedom and resourcing being pushed out to our other churches. So that was the first thing. And the second thing was just, uh, you know, I've got a, a, a three-year commitment to the church. By God's grace, I'll go plant another. And having honest dialogue with Pastor Harvey, um, just asking him, what what do you want to be leading in 10 years from now? You know, because we can be, like, really enamored with all the stuff that's happening in the here and now. Like, what do you want to be leading 10 years from now? Do you want to keep leading this massive operation with all of this you know, central staff, and it, as it continues to grow, anytime something grows, it gets more and more complex, right? Even if you're a master at simplicity, it's still going to get complex. And uh, Harvey's just, he doesn't like com complexity. Um, he wants simplicity. And so I'm like, okay, well, simplicity probably looks more like us really empowering and releasing these guys to become more autonomous. And we'll keep a, a family feel to it, same name, same vision, same values, uh, maybe like a central board, probably not an elder board, but some sort of directional governance board uh, to keep everyone aligned and accountable. But uh, so there was that too, it was just knowing who Harvey is and knowing really what he wanted to be doing 10 years from now. And uh, I think multi-site kind of <coughs> took its toll on him for the time that, that it was happening. So one thing I'll say about it is what I realized, and this is just all you got to find out who you are and who your team is. For me, I found out. It is a real, it's a, it is a big deal, it is a real bear to lead a super complex organization. You need top level leaders to lead with you to do that. And um, yeah, I just got to the point where I'm just like, man, do we want to keep putting all this resource into these centralized ministries, or do we want to just keep putting, do we want to focus our resources towards building up local church pastors and putting that way? And um, so, not, not, I don't think, one way or the other, there's there's a better way. I, I'm just saying, for me, I, I know that I don't want to be the pastor of this multi-complex organization. I, I'd rather, I'm a local church pastor. I want to preach the Bible. I want to pastor people. That's what I want to do. So that's where we've arrived with how we're going to do this. So uh, these two guys are going to tell you where they're in the process as well. Are you doing multi-set? Okay, then let me jump in. Go for it. Is the, uh, so we are not doing multi-site right now. Uh, our intention uh, and uh, where we're working toward with our two residents even now uh, is building out a network of churches, uh, which we haven't even had this conversation, but, but somewhat similar to Harvey, um, in that uh, I've never believed in video preaching. Uh, I've never been a fan of it, and uh, that's my own personal conviction. Uh, and uh, and that's probably because I've always had a host of gifted communicators uh, around us. We actually don't have enough reps 
to go around for the uh, for the five guys in our church that, that I would put up against anybody, honestly, uh, in their ability to communicate. And so our desire is uh, is kind of a hybrid between a, a multi-site uh, and a network uh, um, situation. And we've built this out. And, and uh, so it, my difference, I think, in Harvey is I actually enjoy the complexity. Uh, I kind of came out of a corporate uh, background. I, I enjoy looking at complex organizations, finding simplicity within those things, multiplying uh, within the chaos and figuring out ways uh, to continue to spread the vine. Uh, and I think we were talking about it last night laughing that he, he's like, I'm a pastor and, and, uh, and I want to be a pastor. And I was like, well, I'm kind of a CEO who's pastoring uh, and, uh, and I'm comfortable with who I am in that respect. And so I want to be able to empower guys to lead at a local level, but be a part of uh, a broader movement. And so we have two guys in residence right now. We want to bring two more in. Uh, these two guys will be planted within the next year. Uh, and the way that we're going to set up our governance and our direction, our instruction, is to have a lead pastor there uh, on the ground with his own uh, uh, small elder uh, team specifically for discipline uh, and discipleship. Uh, and every congregation will have that in place. Uh, those guys will preach probably 10 times a year. Uh, we'll have a central teaching team that shares the load. We don't ever want this to be bigger than six or seven churches. Uh, and, uh, and then we'll have a central organizational structure uh, that, that primarily provides uh, direction, vision, uh, resourcing, uh, and, uh, and keeps continuity and congruence across the whole. Uh, and and whereas that you know exhausted my friend to think about that actually excites me, uh, and I would rather I'll wait till that raises up. Thank God. Uh, so how I'm wired, uh, which I've just kind of become comfortable in because I used to feel guilty for not wanting to be the pastor, pastor guy. And my elders have actually been kind enough to walk me through that process and set me free. Uh, how I'm wired is I'd rather step back and lead the whole and watch those guys run uh, and invest in their ability to do that. And uh, so our vision over the next five years is to plant three uh, network churches to autonomous churches. Uh, uh, our church is, is uh, in that 800 to 1,000 range uh, at three, three years and six months. Uh, we don't expect that to slow down, so we're already making plans and provisions for what I want to lead, which is, what, which is such a great question. Uh, I've got a pretty clear vision on what I want to be leading in 10 years. Uh, and, uh, and we think that's going to be the best structure for us to be able to do that. So at Central, uh, uh, kind of the big buckets for our organization, our vision and teaching, I'd be in that role, spiritual formation, which all of our groups and everything flow from, uh, uh, operations uh, and service programming. And that will allow us having just four central roles uh, that give direction to the local churches uh, will allow us to have some simplicity within that complexity and keep congruence with everything that we're doing. So in a year, I may tell you this all blew up, but it looks fantastic on paper and we've, uh, we've trialed it 
in uh, in smaller forms, and uh, and we think it's going to work great for who we have and how we want to reach the city of Atlanta. I'm curious um, for you guys in here, man. So, how how many of you guys, your church is not multi-site, and how many people are currently multi-site, and then how many people are thinking about it? Okay. Uh, man, yeah. So l- let me throw out a couple things. We're real similar to Living Stones. Uh, our church has a few convictions that have sort of led us into multi-site. And we, we have four congregations. We use the language of one church with multiple congregations. Uh, the, the language of campus, to me, communicates location, building, instead of the people of God. So we talk about one church, multiple congregations. And up to now, we've used a combination of live preaching and video and then we have a lead pastor in every congregation. Where we're moving, because we're fanatical about team ministry, we do team teaching, we have a real eldership team, we love teams. What we really want is we want to make room for guys with different gifting that meet the character qualifications of elder and have a unique calling to a context. So because we're so passionate about team, um, I don't want to be real rigid structurally and saying we're just going to do this type, this type of plant. I would rather have more flexibility because I think that there's great diversity in the guys that we're working with. So as we go forward, a guy's going to have options. If, he, if he's high character, he loves the DNA of our church, he's theologically sound, and he's called to a context, a brother's going to have the options, as he counsels with our elders and church planting teams, of planting a network church. So that would be really high affinity and relationship with both of our, our philosophy and our theology. Um, that network church would be resourced. We would work together. We would help one another. Um, if, if the stuff hits the fan, the beauty of that is that you actually have a relational connection with that church, and you can step in and in some ways function. Um, there can be a bit of lower A apostolic grace that's available to that team. So yeah. that local elder team can have a board of brothers that know them and love them and can resolve conflict and help discipline senior leaders. So that's A option in network church. A next option would be they can plant a congregation of Frontline Church. Um, they're all in. They want to be a part of Frontline, and they feel like that's their calling to be a part of the shared eldership and culture of our church. And if that's the case, based on their gifting and calling, they could do uh, they could do all live preaching. They're gifted to preach, and they go through our training. We feel like they're able to, to carry the, the pulpit load. Uh, or they could do video teaching. Uh, I, to me, it's a matter of flexibility and really evaluating the guy and evaluating that. Um, our current structure, we have uh, executive eldership, which serves as the fiduciary board for the church. Then we have a central eldership, which is sort of the primary vision board of our church. And that central eldership is made up of the executive elders plus the lead pastor of every congregation. And then we have congregational elders, which are men that are true elders that are functioning at a congregational level that are shepherding and governing the church. They're shepherding usually between 70 and 120 people, that's three to five community groups. So that's kind of how we're doing it. Um, We are four years into being multi-site. We probably made most of the mistakes that you can make, but the lead pastors of all of our congregations are amazing guys. They're really thinking contextually for their community. Yeah. All right, so we want to just know, you kind of heard what we're at. Let's just talk. Um, You guys are all all in uh, churches that are either doing this, considering this, what are the things you're thinking about, what are the things you want to contribute to the conversation, what are the questions you want to ask. We've got about a uh, half hour to do that. So, let's go. What do you got? Thank you.
questions. First, on the network idea versus the satellite idea on HR side, as part of network, does that allow you to keep the certain financial benefits of a large organization, such as insurance, because it's a network, that you still have group insurance versus individual as a, as a single entity as a, as a church itself. Second, how many of y'all are looking at possibly doing a revitalization of a church in that network that might be dying on the vine for you to reclaim that property for the kingdom to continue? Uh, I'll speak to the first one. The second one, there's nothing in the revitalization pipeline that we know of, right? You, you guys have I think we're thinking about that. Okay, yeah. okay. awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, historically how Livingstone's has functioned is, is, yeah, you definitely have the, so it's, uh, how it's functioned historically is it's five locations, uh, one church functionally as far as budget, all of that stuff is concerned. And so, yeah, we have the biggest, baddest, best insurance package that you possibly can. But we also had a, a lot of money um, locked up, in, like I said, in the human resources in Central, that we really couldn't get out to some of the smaller congregations. And so now we're at a tight spot. And in order to move in this direction, we're honestly having to make some really hard decisions where we're having to cut back in salaries in the Central, you know, in order to get more salaries out to the smaller congregations that have really been kind of anemic and lacking in regards to human resources. Um, so we might have to cut back on some of the awesome, you know, we've got the best, best, best insurance package known to man, I think, right now. Um, and we might have to cut back on a little bit just to save money so that way we can get guys more personnel. But uh, on, Or we keep the really awesome insurance and we, uh, we cut back more people. Like, that's kind of where we're at right now as far as the revitalization thing is concerned, Josh. I would say though that there are some benefits that we can keep. That, that we can be, like for example, we have a financial team that will serve all the congregations. So instead of them having to, you know, hire their own bookkeeper, and, uh, we have one guy that oversees the finances for all the, the all the locations, and one bookkeeper that works with him. So one financial team that serves all those churches that works with the lead pastors, rather than those lead pastors being over there. So it's something that. There are certain things like that that we provide to those local churches that takes things off their plates. They can focus on more the mission, you know, the pastoring, the, the preaching. And so. Yeah, real fast. I think there's two things also that we've got to throw out. Um, first of all, Chandler said this yesterday. This is not the win, right? Like, this is not how you point to the scoreboard and say, we're killing it. That's just completely driven by brokenness and comparison. Um, so if you see multi-site as overflow, you're totally missing the point. You don't do this because you're out of space. This is so stinking hard. And you can't take the stories of the church that already is at like 8,000 people and they plan a campus and all of a sudden that thing blows up and it's a wonderful place. That, that, do you have any idea how rare that is and how weird that is? The reality is if we do this in this size dynamic, this is church planning. And it's going to be gritty, and it's going to be hard. Yep. So you got to come back to the theological why. you got to wrestle through your ecclesiology. you got to think through your missiology. And you got to determine, is this something Jesus is actually telling your church to do so that you can reach more people and make disciples? Do not let this decision be driven by pragmatism. right? And don't let it be driven by comparison. This needs to be a clear calling that your elders agree on if you do this. 
Yeah. I know that you guys have talked with, you're talking with different scenarios. Why don't you talk about that? Uh, yeah, on the revitalization piece, uh, there, there are a couple folks in the pipeline um, that we are having conversations with. Uh, they're not they're not dying churches so much as struggling church plants uh, that never really got the traction uh, that they thought that they would get and uh, and so here here's the deal just being you know very candid uh, the guy that we're sending uh, to plant renovation east side uh, he will start that church because uh, we 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 plant out of our city groups and he's our, he's got how many over there pastor e? He's got three city groups over there, uh, about to be four, roughly how many people in those groups? So he's starting with 80 to 100 people in groups, and it's already uh, size-wise, maturity-wise, movement-wise, bigger than a church that's going to be across the street that we have relationship with. And so we approached that brother and said, hey, listen, you know, you've been going at this for a few years. It's not growing. It's not progressing. You've got the same handful of people you started with. Uh, we're coming. Uh, you have gifts that I can appreciate and value that I see in you. Can we marry this thing uh, and, and rebirth your work through the work of Renovation Church uh, and, and see fruitful ministry here that, that I know is in your heart? And so, uh, so we've got a couple situations like that as well. Uh, that uh, that we're looking at and I think uh, you know based on the conviction that Josh just shared uh, that if you're going to do multi-site or network churches uh, and and I love that you brought that up I think revitalization has to be in the picture uh, I think that uh, that church planners are so wild wild west gun from the hip mentality uh, um, that we want to just go and bury history and make our own little mark and and a lot of times there's been great fruitful ministry done before we got there, and there may be a chance to breathe new life into uh, into a faithful work of God that has just slowed down, and uh, and so I think we got to have that in mind as we look at at all of our broad plans about how we're going to do that. So that's where we're at with it. So when, for example, when we planted Kyle Bateson, we planted our Sparks Church. He's an Acts 29 church planter. Um, you know, first of all, we we were able to give him a corporate, celebrate that, we're planting a Living Stones Church. But he didn't. There were so many things he didn't have to figure out that I had to figure out. Um, and he was just able to go for it and hit the ground running. So there's certain things like that I think that are good because there's certain guys that that, that have tons of gifts, but for me it took years of figuring out all these you know, business type of things uh, that I'm not even gifted at, 
that, you know, now because of what God has done with the stones, we can handle these guys and um, they can go to their thing. So, yeah. Very much so. So for us, we we feel a real love and burden for our whole state, but I would never want to plant a congregation of frontline church outside of our metro. So if you get beyond 30, 40 miles, the context is so different, and I think that you lose something trying to be the same church in such a radically different context. So for us, that, that might be a network church, that would be an independent church plant for, perhaps, but I wouldn't want to go beyond sort of, like, I, I just think, there's, there's guys that can do it, but even the ones that do it well, if you watch their preaching, they lose something and they get so broad that they can't radically contextualize for the people that they're leading. So I, I think that that applies to the culture of the church as well. So for us, man, we, we love Oklahoma City. If you're talking about the larger metro of Oklahoma City, which is really spread out, we're one of the largest cities by landmass, um, we got a lot of different options. You get outside of Oklahoma City, you start getting into the rest of our state, and we're really thinking about potential network church or an independent church plant, but I wouldn't want to do a congregation from uh, Because we are uh, in an urban context, um, a lot is driven by neighborhood. Um, I think we identified, I want to say six or seven major neighborhoods, and then they all have hub neighborhoods around them that kind of feed into them. And so our strategy in, in faithfully serving Atlanta is to put a church in every one of those major neighborhoods so, so that they have a contextual feel uh, to everything that they're doing and we can still be faithful to the ministry that we feel called to do. And, and by doing that, uh, we will have access to an opportunity to hit every major neighborhood in the city of Atlanta. Uh, and right now we have groups in, uh, in all of those neighborhoods, multiple city groups. And, and that is our church planning strategy. Plant the gospel, build groups around the gospel, build churches out of those groups. And that's how the first uh, congregation renovation was planned. So for us, it's not miles or distance or, you know, it, it's the natural barriers that we've been given from neighborhood to neighborhood because we really do have an urban uh, church planning strategy. I think for us, we are in an area where there's never been a church planning movement, ever. And uh, so we're kind of pioneering some of that work. And so for us, we want to leave a lot of church plans behind. And actually, Joe talks about, you talked about this in your church planning session. Did you talk about church planning and legacy, city saturation? That's mm -hmm. Yeah, I think... Um, you know, there, there's two things. First, we didn't we didn't do this, but um, I serve on Wingsuits now as executive lead pastor and director of church planting. I planted a church planting church in Houston, Texas, though, uh, about four, almost five years ago. I had to move because of autoimmune disorders. Um, so I've got two different kind of, and, and it was a church planting church in which we did something very similar to what Leon's is talking about. Uh, the churches, uh, church that we planted, the churches that have been planted, uh, also uh, were kind of a network base. Grew out of our missional communities, that kind of stuff. But I think really, you know, 
when you're thinking about strategy for multi-site, thinking about strategy for church planting, as Josh said, uh, if you're going to do this, that really becomes, at least if not all, a significant portion of church planting for you. You really have to think about legacy, right? Um, one of the things that I, I, I do see happen, and, I, and, and we're starting to, and I, man, I really wish that we could use the, the person, but we would get in a lot of trouble if we heard that out. But um, you're, you're starting to see, like, a lot of multi-site was, like Josh said, I think, uh, a response to space, yeah. uh, overflow. Uh, because this really gifted preacher, we just can't, we, we run out of space to pack everyone in the room that wants to listen to this guy. And that's okay to be a really gifted preacher and then to draw large crowds. There's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of longevity to that approach, right? So you want to be intentional day one about how does multi-site actually work for us in which this is going to be a long-term, sustainable way to really love our city yep. through church planting. And so if it's all built around the personality and there's no strategy of multiplication and long-term sustainability behind it, then you're going to have a problem on your hands whenever that the person or personality that's built around um, moves on to something else or dies, it dies, it retires or dies prematurely or gets sick or anything like that. And so uh, really I think, you know, multiplication has to be the DNA, I think, that even drives a multi-site. It's, it's not about addition, it's about multiplication because multiplication is what you do to build legacy. It's churches planting churches, planting churches, planting churches. And so even as you think about this, uh, I would encourage you right now to begin thinking about how do we not only start new churches, what does multiplication look like, though, for the churches that we start? Um, so that way saturation continues and uh, you continue to love your city with a legacy um, beyond you, that will go beyond you. So. I've got a question for you guys who've done multi-site, because uh, I've got a particular conviction about this that I was just going to say, but I, I'll ask him in a question form instead. Well, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to lord over you. Um, do you think that that you should move to a multi-site strategy before you have participated in any broader church planting movement? So like if you haven't planted a church or contributed to planting a church in any capacity, should you already be thinking of moving to multi-site? I think that, that that question is a good question if where we go with it is to really dig into the heart. Um, I don't know that I can say that that's just like a straight yes or no, uh, but I think that what you're pushing on is, what you're really asking, I think, is is this about your personality and your platform and your legacy, or is this about the movement of Jesus? So, you know, and so, like, like, I think that you'd have to really dig into that with the guy. And if you're doing multi-site because you're building your brand or you're expanding your name, this is what I talked about here yesterday. To me, that's Pharaoh leadership. That's not being a spiritual father. So, you know, I think yes and no. For, for us, when we planted multi-site, we've been helping, we've been helping church plants and loving church plants. And we stepped into Acts 29 because we wanted to do it in a really healthy way. And, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So... But, but I just, I don't know that that's a one-size-fits-all answer. I mean, is it possible for you to have a clean heart in that and for Jesus to be calling you to go multi-site before you've planted a church? Yeah, it's possible. Um, I think you need to process that, not just with your internal elders, but probably some guys that you trust from outside your church. 
Yeah, I would say there's probably just, it's a case-by-case -case type of situation. And you gotta know your situation, where you're at, who you have on your team, what their calling is, what your calling is, all those factors play into it. Um, because if you have, so for example, if you have guys that are called to church plant, they're gifted to church plant, and you don't send them out, God is calling them to do that, it's very apparent to everybody else, and you don't send them out, well then yeah, then that would be a problem. But if you don't have those guys, or you have guys that aren't necessarily ready for that yet, and maybe uh, planting uh, a location, or a, you know, sign or whatever, whatever the, you call it, is a better strategy for multiplication, then that's okay too. Well, I think the, the broader and deeper question I'm asking, which Josh was kind of digging at, is if you're really multiplication-minded, then you will have begun to participate in multiplication movements before you ever go to multi-site. That, that's, the, that's the conviction I'm kind of digging at. Like what Josh said is they, they didn't come in Acts 29 to get the brand. They came in Acts 29 because they were already throwing out a thousand bucks here, sending some training here, 500 bucks over here, let's get 2,000 to the guy in Kenya. And oh man, Acts 29 is doing that and they're doing it great. I want to join into that uh, because you are already multiplication minded. Uh, and so then uh, multi-site doesn't become a, a means to an end or means to itself. It's another tool to continue to multiply the work of the gospel that you've already been participating in in other avenues. So that's kind of what I'm digging at to see, to see what you guys thought about that and, and what you've seen. Because historically, you know, I, I mean, I've only been in ministry a decade and some change, but I, I feel like guys who run straight to this and have never participated in church planting, it always ends up going badly. Um, so. I think this might be a little bit helpful for that question and the one about are you going to share a 501c3? What's central? What's not central? What do you push out to the front lines? What do you keep inside? Um, like, think about it in terms of this. Think about leadership polarities. Uh, breathing is a polarity, right? So if you inhale, you have to exhale, correct? Uh, you can't hold your breath and, and survive. You can't actually exhale completely and survive without taking an air. So, like, like if I could just throw this up here. 
in a lot of ways, this is where the tension comes in leadership, both with multi-site and with our, our autonomous churches. Like, look at it like this. Um, this is a healthy polarity. Those are supposed to be the same. I can't draw. So that's a healthy polarity. Let's say that this is central. And let's say that this is uh, your campuses. So central campuses. And, and there's a healthy polarity there. There's a give and there's a take. There's communication. It's determining what do these brothers need to be successful in the mission from central. Um, what do these guys need to do? And central is resourcing and not being overbearing. Where we get into crisis is when it starts to look like this, right? And now all of a sudden, you've lost polarity. This is not a healthy balance. Uh, now all of a sudden, Central is micromanaging. They're being heavy-handed, controlling. They're ramming stuff down the throat. Now it feels like an old-school denominational structure where nobody wants to show up to the denominational meetings, right? Uh, and, and then you can get into crisis on the other side of that where, or excuse me, if you go really big over here, really small here, this is also an unhealthy polarity. This is, all of a sudden, guys are saying, well, we're one church with multiple locations, and we're contextualizing, and really what they're doing is not contextualizing, they're just making dumb decisions, right? And, and so there's a healthy polarity that just requires relationship, right? Like you actually have to communicate, and, and that's why what I would say, if you're gonna do this, it goes back to what Leonce was saying, you gotta be thinking multiplication, but you also have to be thinking covenant community, right? You don't just want to multiply out locations and overflow. You want an eldership, leadership community that lives in covenant because that's supposed to be modeled for the people that we're leading. So. All right, we got like 12 minutes, so. Yeah. Less than that, uh, I have a question about other family ministries, and what uh, it seems like what I'm hearing is uh, at all the congregations and, uh, and all the other uh, plants, there's a shared DNA in the weekend services and gatherings. Uh, what about your children's ministry, student, high school, middle school? Do you replicate that? Or what does that look like? How do you plant that and keep the DNA the same? So the way that we look at it is the Reno Church has got the most resources. It's got the most staffing. It's got a lot of stuff, that stuff built out. So the Reno Church then turns around and serves the other churches. So, for example, um, Pastor Jason, who's over here, he leads our spiritual formation community groups. He primarily serves the 90 community groups at the Reno Church, but then he also serves the other community groups at the other churches by passing on the stuff that they have there. So he gives that to the lead pastors at those other churches that don't have a community groups pastor. And so those lead pastors are then take, able to take that step and implement it uh, there. Jason is not leading the community groups at those other locations. He's just, he just has influence and he's, he's a servant to them. And the same thing works in children's ministry, youth ministry, all the way through. Uh, Dave, raise your hand. This is David Adair. He's the lead pastor of the first congregation that we planted in the suburbs. Uh, Sean, raise your hand. This is Sean Evans. He's the lead pastor of our congregation in South Oklahoma City. Sean is in an urban context. It's super gritty. Uh, it's one of the highest zip codes for incarceration in our state. Tons of drugs, tons of crime. Dave's in the burbs. Um, theologically and philosophically, their kids' ministries are very similar. So their approach to training leaders, their curriculum, is very, very similar. What his kids' ministry looks and feels like is different than his. So there's room for contextualization, but there's also content, and there's, there's unity and diversity in the model that we're trying to build. 
that. So the hope moving forward for us in regards to moving more towards autonomy um, rather than everything kind of being mixed all up in one common pot is that each one of the churches will have their own budget. Uh, they'll have their own operational budget. They'll have their own, you know, everything, their own intake system of receiving funds and then distributing, like all of that stuff. Um, but they will give a percentage of that budget back into uh, central operational, which kind of helps the network functionality, if you will. Um, so, you know, we talk about 501c3. We're going to keep the same 501c3, just each one of these churches will open up their own bank account, which right now they don't have. It's all in one bank account. They'll open up their own bank account with the DBA and have their own financial advisory board and everything like that. We will keep, as far as like the, you know, how are we going to keep all of these autonomous congregations functioning in unity? There will be three primary functions that unify us. Um, financial. So the percentage that they give in, there will be a CFO that oversees those like network finances, if you will. Um, communications, so branding. Uh, anytime we stack hands on doing sermon series, campaigns like that. Uh, branding, uh, website, all of that kind of stuff will be handled in, uh, in the, the central pot. And then uh, directional leadership, which will include um, vision, uh, retreats, all of that kind of stuff that we do together. But the hope is that they will actually have their own budgets and eventually grow into the kind of maturation of like any local church where they have a financial advisory board in time, internally, their own executive pastor that oversees all of that, but they'll just give a, a percentage back into Central and make sure that whatever they're giving in is actually what they're getting out. You know? So we're not going to, hey, give us 40% of your budget and then all we're giving you is a website and, uh, you know, we're making sure that the 40% that you give is handled well, <laughs> financially. You know? um, so we want to make sure that whatever the percentage is, and we haven't fully stacked hands on that, um, what goes in is output as well. So they're going to be served well being a part of this network. So micro-network family. Once we get to where we want to go, um, that will be handled as any other local church. Um, so if the lead pastor goes astray, his elders will handle it. Uh, with the oversight and help of the board, but, um, but no, that will be handled as like a local church discipline issue. My role in that, or Joe's role, would be one more of, one more of influence. 
as rather than uh, you know, authority. So let's just assume that you know theologically you're good on multi-side. You know you feel like it fits within your philosophy of ministry, all of that. And now you're just to the man. Should we do it? Should we not? Like you're to that stage of it. So we've heard a lot about like here are the things that we're in. Like the man, this would be a good fit for us. You know, to your point earlier, Josh, it allows you to if a guy's gifted at preaching, he can go that route. This route, if he's not, you know, it allows for those sort of things. What were the sort of things on the negative side? You're like, man, that, those feel like to get over to do this thing. So I'd love to hear y'all talk about just on that side of it, on the negative side of just things that you wrestled through and got over. And Man, I think that in some ways, when we planted out of, so our original congregation was in downtown Oklahoma City, uh, really unique culture. It was really artistic. The way that the spirit was moving was really wild. The mix of the crowd in terms of diversity was really beautiful. So when we planted our first congregation out of that, I think that we thought that what was going to be the same were some of those cultural deals that were unique to that context. So when we planted in Shawnee, it's a community of 30,000 people. We planted in a rough neighborhood. It's a weird town. We, we call that town South Central Mayberry because it's like it's like small town and a meeting, leading meth producer for our state. That's it's real talk, though. And so when we planted there, like we, I think we, we under-contextualized. We didn't really think about What's it going to take to reach that community? So we're having to go back now and think through how do we do a better job of thinking like church planters in this community? David's, on the other hand, he's done a fantastic job in planting Edmund, thinking about the culture. So that, that's one piece. Like You have to really wrestle through what needs to be unified and what needs to be diverse based on context. And then the other thing is, I would say, don't, uster, don't underestimate how hard this is. Um, this applies to all of us in the room. A really amazing leader on a team is not as good a leader by himself. So you got to think about this in terms of team planting. Don't send a guy by himself. Don't do this solo. Uh, you don't want to send a guy out and say, good luck, man, like here's some money, make it happen. There's got to be a team mentality. And if you don't do that, a guy that was an A leader in the context of team is going to be more like a B or C leader when he's out by himself. So you got to think through team dynamics. you got to think through contextualization. Um, and, and then you got to wrestle through the fact, like, does this guy – is this guy really called to be a part of this, this spiritual communion of brothers, or is this a career step for him? Um, if it's just a career step, it's not gonna work. So a guy's gotta say, I'm like, I wanna do covenantal community with you guys, I'm in, I want my life to be known, and it's that relational integrity that actually makes it work, because there's gonna be a lot of hard conversations. I agree with all that. One other thing I would add is that uh, so when I did this thing with Leadership Network, is this cohort that you do where you meet with all these guys and, uh, from around the country. You get coached by these pastors that are older and been there. And uh, so one of the things that I was laying out kind of our plan of how we're doing uh, our multi-site, this was several years ago, and one of the guys there had done several multi-site. He looked at me and he goes, well, you're not doing multi-site. I go, oh, well, what are we doing? He goes, you're doing church planning. Because I guess... From his perspective, multi-site means you show up, everything's ready to go, plug and play. I mean, it is like day one. Is, and the way we were doing it was like we send you out with a core group and a little bit of money, and we coach you and we help you, and we, you know, and it's it more like a. So, but the only difference we had in those days is we were using video. Um, so, yeah. So I think you have to evaluate that. evaluate that when you what. 
when you talk about multi-site, what are you talking about? What are you thinking when, when you say that? Are you thinking we're going to send out a core group who's going to plant this, this gill that's going to have our similar DNA? Or are you talking about we're going to do this like full on? And, and if you're going to do the full on deal, you're talking lots of money, full on staffing, the whole thing. So, and most churches in X29 can't afford that. So, just, just real fast, I, I don't know how you can actually have an ecclesiology that's compatible with Acts 29 and just do the face of a place kind of multi-site. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not relational connection. The, the campus doesn't meet the minimum requirements of a church. I think you got to go in from jump and think through, this has got to be a real elder, real church planning team, plurality. you got to think through church discipline. you got to think through proclamation of the word. Like, it needs to meet all the standards of the church. And it's got to be relationally off the charts. Don't do the face for the place satellite junk because it's ridiculous. How do you feel about that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. We are out of time. We'll hang out for a few minutes if you got a couple more questions. And uh, thank you.